you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. If you're using a Pew Bible this morning, that's on page 1023. 1023. We have been in a study on 1 John for several weeks now, and we are headed towards the end uh, next Sunday. And as John here nears the end of this letter in chapter 5, we will see that he revisits the three tests of assurance that we've talked about before of the Christian. He states in chapter 5, this section that we'll look at also, the, the foundations of faith for the Christian. And then next week, we'll look at the expressions of, of several uh, certainties for the Christian. Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Chris preached from chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. And in that section, John again emphasized the command to love one another or to love our brother. If you just look back up to verse 20 of chapter 4, chapter 4 verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love his brother cannot love, his, love God whom he has not seen. And this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now John is abundantly clear here, but uh, may have anticipated a, a rebuttal. And the rebuttal might be, but who's my brother? Right? When Jesus said to, to love your neighbor as yourself, what was the response? Well, who's my neighbor? Right? Who do I have to love? Who's my brother? We might ask, or someone might ask. And to that, John, in chapter 5, draws the proverbial dots a little closer together uh, for those who, who may not see it so clearly. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 5, after having said those things in chapter 4, again, remember chapter breaks and verse breaks are, are not in the original. This would have flown together, uh, flowed right together. So chapter 5, verse 1 says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So what is the answer to who is my brother? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is your brother. Everyone who believes. Again, remember why John is writing here. John is pushing back against false teachers, against what he calls antichrists, who have denied that Jesus is the Christ. He's saying anybody who, who does believe, anybody who does believe that Jesus is the Christ, that person has been born of God, that person then is your brother. John uses two ideas here uh, with the words believe and then the phrase born of God. The first believes is in the present tense in the grammar, and it means a, a present continuing activity. So it's not, it's not just a, a, a belief at one point in time. He's talking about believes, continues to believe. Those who believe or affirm or trust are what? Are born of God. This born of God is, a, is a, in the perfect tense, which means that it's a past event with continuing consequences. So John has used this phrase before in chapter 3 and in chapter 4. Some, some Bibles translate this fathered by God or born of God. And it indicates the new birth. 
It indicates salvation. It indicates spiritual adoption. It indicates being brought into the family of God. A past event with continuing consequences. John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 say this, but to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born. How? Not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of the man, but by God. The way a believer becomes a believer is being born of God. John Stott writes, our present continuing activity of believing is the result and therefore the evidence of our past experience of new birth, by which we become and remain God's children. So in this, we see that the new birth then precedes our belief. You believe because you've been born again. You believe because you've been born of God. Our belief then is evidence of the new birth. God does a work. You are not saved by your faith. You're not saved because you believe. You're saved because God saved you. And the response is that you believe on him. God acts first. God comes to you and opens your blind eyes. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead people do not see God. They cannot They only can see God as they're made alive. And then, by grace, through faith, we are saved. Those who are born of God are those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. And these are our Christian brothers. Well, John continues in the next verses where we see these three tests revisited. We've we've seen them twice already in four chapters. These tests of, of love and of obedience and of faith. These serve as evidences of knowing God. They serve as assurances that we do know God. And they serve as characteristics or what one calls birthmarks of a Christian. These become quite obvious. This act of love, our act of obedience in our continuing faith. When clearly that is not the default response that we, one would have. Right? In life, the evidence of our faith, the evidence that we know God, our, our, our obedience in our love, in our belief, all of that, all of that shows the fact that we do that demonstrates that we are a child of God because those are not on our own our default responses. Well, John first identifies the characteristic of love. Once again, look at the rest of verse one. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Or in the ESV, it says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. James Montgomery Boyce observes the logic here. Everyone who loves the parents or loves the father loves the child. And every Christian is a child. Therefore, when we love God, we love our fellow Christians. That's what John is saying. That's the logic that John is following. So if we love the father, we will love his children. We will love his children. And we have lots of opportunities, don't we? 
to love the brothers, to love God's children. In fact, the the New Testament is full of these one another commands, one of them being love one another. And how do we love one another? We have to be with one another in order to love one another. So the one another commands actually occur in the context of community. They actually occur in the context of a local community of Christians. That's how we demonstrate that we love one another. If we are isolated from one another, how can we demonstrate our love for one another? It must involve a relationship, a community. Over the past few years, our many experiences, both in our state, in our country, and around the world, have shown to us that Christians do not always see the world quite the same, do they? Right? Your, your, your friend, who you may have known for years, have, has come down on, on a different side of many issues in the past couple of years than, than you have, haven't they? And yet these are opportunities to demonstrate love for one another. Love for one another is not determined upon everyone agreeing with me. Right? If, if you have to agree with me in order for me to love you, then that's a condition on love that the Bible does not make. Disagreements are always opportunities to demonstrate love. In, in just a few weeks, some of us will be spending time with family and with friends with whom we may have the common bond of Christ. But that might be it. Right? And so what an opportunity what an opportunity to demonstrate, to demonstrate that you've been born of God by loving your brother. This certainly is not limited. The biblical teaching is not limited to loving one another. That's what John is talking about because he's talking specifically to, uh, to Christians in a specific circumstance. But the biblical teaching on love goes beyond, it extends beyond just loving one another. Jesus said to love your neighbor Jesus also said to love your enemy. So love is to, to, to typify or to uh, describe the interactions that Christians have with all people in their life. For John, loving one another or loving your brother is inseparable from loving God. And as we see in verse 2, obeying his command. Look at verse 2 again. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Our love for God and for others is expressed in our obedience to God. And this is the second characteristic that John, John gives us, right? The first is love. Now the second is obedience. We obey how? By loving or by obeying him. One commentator writes this, A person who obeys God's commands is doing what is right, both towards God and towards his fellow believers, and is thus loving God and them. Look again, or look with me at verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. John is making the case here that the commands of God are not burdensome or they're they're not grievous or they're not heavy uh, or they're not troublesome or or they're not uh, hard to bear. Now surely uh, John does not mean that they are easy, 
Right? They're easy to do. Or they, they don't take any effort. Clearly, that's not what John would, would mean. Right? Uh, following Jesus is not always easy. In fact, if it were easy, more of us would do it more consistently. Right? Clearly, it is not always, in our words, easy. So what is John getting at here when he says that they're not burdensome? Well, in part, he's making a distinction here. A distinction between what the Pharisees and what the scribes, what the religious leaders were doing. And that was heaping upon people more rules and more regulations than what Jesus had said, or what the, the Old Testament had said. When Jesus comes and says in Matthew chapter 11, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, what does Jesus mean here by easy? He means that, that his yoke is morally good. It's kind. It's pleasant. That's what Jesus means when he says that, it, that it's good. Obedience is not uh, about, about earning God's love. Right? We're, we're not obeying in order to get God to love us. It's not this burden that we have to do in order for God to, to, to love us. Actually, it's quite the opposite. It's a response to being loved. And this is the great difference between the gospel and religion. Religion says that I do and therefore I'm accepted by God. But the gospel tells us that in Christ I've been accepted. Therefore I obey. Therefore I do. I'm not doing it in a, in a, in a, as an opportunity or a, a, a way to get God's favor. It's because I've already received God's favor. It's, it's terribly different. It's, it's drastically different in fact. But the second thing John may be saying here or is saying here is, is that the only way this works, the reason that these commands are not burdensome is because of who we are in Christ, because of the new birth, because of what Christ has done, our response now as his child is to respond in love. Our love is then motivated by his love. William Barclay writes it this way, for love no duty is too hard. No task is too great. That which we would never do for a stranger, we, are, we willingly attempt for a loved one. That would be, that what would be, what would be impossible sacrifice if a stranger demanded it will become willing gifts, a willing gift when love needs it. He continues, difficult the commands of Christ are, burdensome they are not. For Christ never laid a commandment on a man without giving him the strength to carry it. And every commandment laid upon us provides another chance for us to show our love, end quote. So what God calls you to, he equips you for. If God calls you to love, if the commandment is to love, then that is not a burden. That's not too heavy because God will enable you to do it. Now some of us, have looked at the commands of God in a different way, haven't we? We've not seen the commandments of God as, as light or easy. We've seen them as a burden. We've seen them as, as, as heavy, as restrictive. We've seen them as, as rules and of regulations that, that are keeping something from us. And I want you to know today that that is a lie. It is a lie from the devil himself. In fact, it, it, it is the lie that the devil used in the garden. It's the lie that led humanity into the brokenness that we have experienced today. You remember the tempter 
That is the serpent in the garden. That is the devil. What did he do? He called into question with Eve the goodness of God. He deceived Eve to believe that God was keeping the good stuff from her. What did God say? You can eat of every tree but one. And what does Satan do with that that rule, that one command? God's keeping something from you. He's keeping the good stuff from you. His rules are meant to, to keep you down, to weigh you down. The good stuff is outside of his commands, so he says. And yet the story of humanity, the story of fallen humanity, the curse on the earth tells us that that's not true. This morning, don't believe him. Don't believe the lie that the good stuff is outside of the commandment of God. It is not. It is within the commandments of God that we see human flourishing. God's commandments are given out of love and they are good. Listen to to King David's words in Psalm chapter 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. That's how David felt about the word of God. That's how David felt about the commandments of God. It's how you and I ought to feel about them as well. Obedience to God is how we show our love for God. Well, these tests John gives are not independent of one another, right? These characteristics are not independent of one another. One one theologian explains that there's no love without obedience. And there's no obedience without love, and neither is there love or obedience without, finally, faith. Faith in Jesus as the Christ, which brings us to the third test in verses 4 and 5. As the Christian life begins with faith, we also know that it continues in faith. In verses 4 and 5, we can see faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And in these two verses, we're going to see the word overcome or overcomes three times. This is the word, we looked at this word already in chapter 4, but it's the word to, to conquer, or it's the word where we get our word Nike, which means victory. The first occurrence happens in verse 4. and It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. There is no victory. There is no victory apart from God. You and I have no victory in this world apart from God. We have no way to overcome the world. That is the the evil system of values and, and, and priorities that oppose God. We have no way of overcoming that that without God. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. Our hope is in God. That's where the power to overcome comes from, being born of God. 
Secondly, we see, see the principle of this victory in the rest of verse 4. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What's the victory? Our faith. Our faith. What, what is our faith in? Well, John continues as we see in verse 5 who, who, has, who has this faith and what the object of the faith is. Look at it in verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So the principle of overcoming is faith, but faith in what? Faith in Jesus. And who is it that has faith in Jesus, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? During the Reformation, five short phrases came out to summarize the Reformation beliefs. And four of those remind us of what salvation is. That it's in Christ alone, it's by grace alone, it's through faith alone, and for God's glory alone. Believers in Christ are victorious over the world because of the faith given to them by God. So that means the victory is not in our doing. We're not running around shouting about how victorious we are. We're we're victorious in the work that Christ has done for us. Faith is the victory, but the faith then is in Jesus as the Christ. Well, John began this section in verse 1, talking about belief, about faith. And now he bookends it here in verse 5, talking about belief. In verses 6 through 12, provide a basis for that belief. And the belief is in Jesus as we look at verses 6 through 8, we'll see three witnesses or a threefold testimony. Look at it with me in verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. According to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, according to the Old Testament law, two or three witnesses were required in order to substantiate a claim. So John here brings together these three testimonies, or these three witnesses of, or who all point to Jesus as the Christ. And the first we see is water. Here, here water is referring to Jesus' baptism. John's saying that the baptism of Jesus is a testimony, is a witness of Jesus as the Christ. It initiated, you remember, it initiated his public ministry. That's what started Jesus' public ministry is when he was baptized. And we remember that the dove descends upon Jesus and the voice comes out from the sky that says, this is my son, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Again, all pointing to Jesus, all testifying to who Jesus is. The second testimony, John says, is that of the blood the blood here refers to Jesus' crucifixion. The crucifixion was the conclusion of his earthly ministry. Here on the cross, as Jesus bled, prophecies were fulfilled. The curtain was torn in two. The sacrifice, his body for our sins was made and accepted by God, granting us life and access 
to God through Christ. All of this, the blood testifying to Jesus' identity. And finally, the Spirit, John says. The Spirit in verse 7. Verse 6 says, The Spirit is the truth, for they all, for they, the three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, these three agree. The Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit is to testify to Jesus. Listen to John chapter 15. But when the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, and he will what? Bear witness about me. The ministry of the Spirit is to tell us who Jesus is. That's what the Spirit is doing. So here John gathers these three witnesses together. The water, the blood, and the Spirit all to say, all of this points to Jesus. You need, you need witnesses? I got three. Here they are. And they all point to Jesus as the Christ. The basis of our faith is Jesus as the Christ. And here, here's the testimony. Here's the evidence. Here, here are the witnesses. The water, the blood, and the Spirit. Well, John continues in verse 9. It says, we accept human testimony but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. In the ESV, it reads, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born according to his son. Concerning his son. Here's the argument. The argument is from the lesser to the greater. If we accept a human testimony, then obviously you should accept God's testimony. And you, you do. Your, your law says that, that if you have three witnesses, you, you would accept that testimony. Well, here, I've given you the witnesses, but God's testimony is greater. So obviously you should accept this testimony. This is a testimony that John has been referring to all the way back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 say this, that which was from the beginning, this is, these are John's words, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and what? Testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the testimony of John. This is the testimony of God. The testimony that God gave to John that he is proclaiming to you and me to believe. But here's the reality. Not everyone believes the testimony. And verse 10 goes on to say that the unbelief is sin and a and a contradiction of God. Look at verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Again, John is making it quite clear about what a believer in Jesus believes. You can't be a believer by believing whatever you want to believe. That's not how it works. You must accept the testimony of God. And what is the testimony of God but that Jesus is the Christ? 
Again, this is what John was, was pressing home all throughout this letter, what the false teachers were pushing back against. Now John is clarifying that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. He was not just a prophet. He was not just a good guy. He was not just a teacher. He was in fact the anointed one. He was the Christ. He is the Christ. And you must believe it. You must believe it. Warren Wearsby writes, people often say, I wish I could have faith. Maybe some of you feel like that this morning. You might hear a preacher shouting about believing something. You might say, well, I wish I had that faith. Warren Wearsby goes on, but everyone believes, but everyone lives by faith. You have faith. He continues, all day long, people trust one another. They trust the doctor and the pharmacist. They trust the cook in the restaurant. They even trust the fellow driving in the other lane on the highway. If we can trust men, why can we not trust God? And not to trust God, according to John here, is to make God a liar. Finally, verses 11 and 12 summarize this testimony further. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. God's testimony is that God has given salvation through his son, Jesus. Eternal life. Life in the son. Life in Christ. Life that starts now and lasts forever. The question before us this morning is, do you have the Son? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? John is writing to assure Christians that they can know that they know God. And we'll talk more about that next week. But just look at verse 13 with me. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you have eternal life today. And the way you know is by knowing the way. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said it this way, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The way that you know that you have the Son is by coming to God through the Son. It's by trusting in what Jesus has done. Do you know the way? Have you believed on Jesus? Do you know that Jesus is the Christ? Not do you know of Jesus. Not do you know about Jesus. Do you know that Jesus is the Christ? That is different. That is different than saying, I know that he was a baby born in a manger. That is different than saying, I, I, I know that he died on a cross. It's to know that he is the son of God. That he came to do that which no one else could or would do for you. That he, in his perfect sacrifice, paid for your sins, something that no one else could ever do for you. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? If you don't this morning, I want to invite you to know this morning, to believe this morning. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Everyone who believes on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not good enough just to believe. It's not good enough just to have faith. There has to be an object. What's the object of your faith? You all have faith. I have faith. Who is the object of your faith? What is the object of your faith? John says that you must believe that Jesus is the Christ. The name of the Lord you must call upon in order to be saved. Now, there are those this morning who surely do know Jesus. You do know the way. You do believe that Jesus is the Christ. And to you, I want to say, take courage this morning. Take courage this morning. The the, the affirmation of the Bible, the assurance of 1 John says, for those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, you can know that you've been born of God. Why? Because you wouldn't believe that if you weren't born of God. That's the evidence that you have been born of God. Your faith is the victory. The reason that you have faith is because you've been born of God. It is God's grace to you. Take courage. Be encouraged this morning. And then respond. Respond in love. Respond in obedience. Respond in continued faith. That is the the natural response then of the one who knows God. And how will you ever do that? You'll do it by looking to Jesus, who the the writer of Hebrews tells us is the author and the perfecter of your faith. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray this morning that you would help us. Help us look to you today. Help us to see you today. Help us to see Jesus more clearly today. And as we do, God, our those who know you, our hearts will, will be filled with love, filled with a desire for obedience. Our faith will increase as we look not to ourselves, not to this world, not to the things of this world, but we look to Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, the giver of life, the author of our salvation. God, for those who are with us who do not know you, God, my prayers even in this moment that your spirit would convict their heart to recognize that without Christ they are lost. Without Christ they, they have no certainty. Of course they feel, they feel afraid. Of course they, they don't know. For we all once were in that condition And by grace, you have opened blind eyes and given faith to believe. And God, I pray you'll do it again this morning. For those who sit there wondering what to do next, God, I pray you impress upon their heart to to call upon you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 tells us that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. God, may they call out today, repenting of their sins and placing their faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone for their salvation. As they recognize Jesus as the Christ, may you give them the assurance of their salvation for which we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.